The savings rock when you find a new way to roll. Like sharing the ride to work. Even if you're commuting just a few days a week, commuter connections can match you with others who live and work near you. It's easy and free. Plus, you can get cash and other rewards for carpooling, up to $600 a year. Get rolling on a new way to work with Rideshare. Register today at commuterconnections.org or call 1-800-745-RIDE. That's commuterconnections.org. Some restrictions apply. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox. Welcome to With Friends Like These. Before we begin the show, I have some housekeeping. Now, I never thought I would see Georgia turn blue in my lifetime. Though there are a lot of things happening this year that I never thought I'd see in my lifetime, but at least Georgia going blue is a good surprise. If you listen to Crooked Type Podcast, you may already know that Georgia's blue is kind of a shallow layer, and there will be a runoff in both of its Senate races to determine if we can turn that state a deep, deep royal blue. Biden winning more votes than Trump shows that John Ossoff and Reverend Raphael Warnock have a shot to win as well. That's why Vote Save America has launched Adopt a State, Georgia edition. Sign up to Adopt Georgia at votesaveamerica.com slash Georgia and keep an eye on your email for the best ways to help organizers on the ground. They flipped the state for Biden and Harris. Let's help them finish it out. Now, for the episode. I have to give you a content warning. Because this entire episode is about suicide. The entire thing. So if you're not in a place where you can hear about that right now, please go listen to some uplifting episodes of the show. The one about magic from a few weeks ago, or maybe the interview with Derek Black when he renounced white nationalism, just for example. If you're on the fence about listening to an entire episode about suicide, I can also tell you this. Stephanie Whittles, friend of the pod, and I also laugh a lot during this conversation. Believe it or not, we laugh a lot. To paraphrase her take on that, just because you're talking about something tragic, it doesn't mean you lose your worldview. And, you know, worldviews include a sense of humor. And speaking of worldviews... I realized the other day I've been neglecting to regularly point out that our season or edition of With Friends Like These these days also has a point of view. Every episode thus far has tangled in some way with the idea of good intentions. Usually, good intentions gone wrong in some way. This episode is specifically about how we need to rethink the ways we approach suicide prevention that framing it as a problem that affects the mentally ill is all wrong and leads to bad prevention tactics. Instead, we have to think about suicide as something we prevent on a public health basis, the way we think about smoking or gun violence. We need suicide prevention for those immediately in crisis, for sure. We also need to create a world where far fewer people are in crisis. But I shouldn't give the whole episode away. So... If you're ready for an episode entirely about suicide, one is coming right up with Stephanie Whittles to talk about her podcast, Last Day, and how her whole season is about suicide. You'll laugh, I promise. Coming right up. Stephanie, welcome back to the show. I am delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, you're on in part because I just love talking to you. But also, you have a thing to talk about that's going to set us up for a whole discussion. It's the new season of your podcast, Last Day, which is taking on, this time, suicide. Yes. I like to have a good time. So (laughs) first season was overdose and addiction. Second season is suicide. Yes. So my first question to you, I guess, is, is suicide... A, a real problem in the U.S. I mean, I've read some statistics, but is it something that that 
we should be concerned about, like as a country, as a community? Yeah, I unfortunately am here to report that suicides are on the rise. Um, you know, suicide isn't something that is is new. This has been happening, you know, for forever, right? Um, I think we talk about it now more in a way that is hopefully getting some of the shame and stigma out of the conversation that we talk, we talk about it in a way that um, acknowledges that it's a real thing. Um, But it's, it's sort of tricky to call it an epidemic um, because it is fairly rare. So when you look at data um, in 2018, which is really the the most recent data uh, around 48,000 people died by suicide. One reason that suicide feels so tragic to people who have it happen in their circle is that it, everyone feels like it's preventable. Everyone feels like there's something they should have done or could have done. Yeah, I, that's, that's the entire reason that we are tackling this. So we aren't tackling this because it's, you know, um, something that, that is unpleasant to talk about. It's, it can be unpleasant to talk about and it can be unpleasant to experience, like you said. But the whole reason why we started last day is because we lost our brothers to overdose. And it was one of those things where we were on the other side of it asking, how did this happen? You know, what, what could we have done differently? There feels like there's this element of choice when it comes to drug use, when it comes to suicide and being the family member, you know, being somebody who loses someone in that way, you're always left going, well, what could I, could I have done more? You know, like how could I have intervened differently? And um, these are also, like I said, things that are deeply stigmatized. There's a lot of shame. Um, they they really thrive in the darkness. They thrive um, by being sort of hidden from people. And so with suicide, it's the same kind of thing where we're going, well, can we prevent it? And And the good news is, yeah, we can. There are things that we can do. Um, the point of last day is not to sort of harp on you know, dead people. The point is to talk about how can we, how can we change this so that people are having better income uh, outcomes? Um, you know, that's our goal. So the little bit of reading I did about this does suggest that while there are things we can do, like I think most mental health issues um, in, in America, there is, um, there is not a great amount of help and not a great amount of procedure. Like, I I found this quote that fairly astonishing. Um, April Foreman, an executive member of the American Association of Suicidology, calls uh, what we do today virtue theater. It outwardly signals hope, but on the inside, clinic personnel are consumed by paperwork, funding stress, liability concerns, impossible caseloads, and the ever-changing and Byzantine ways people qualify for help. The job becomes about avoiding litigation and high-risk patients not experimenting with new ways of treating people who need it the most. Mental mental health workers are are struggling on the other side of this. I mean, one of the things we did in, in, in season one um, that feels relevant is you know, there was this talk from, um, we talked about this this guy, Stefano, his last day, and his wife was saying, you know, the EMTs came in here and they were so cold and they were so all business about things, right? And and they didn't seem to care, right? When you then like talk to the EMTs though, and we did this on the very next episode, they're saying, we're getting calls, you know, 10 times a day, sometimes on the same person, right? And there's this, you have to kind of look at it from the alternate perspective. So people who are working in mental health are taxed. I mean, we're, we're looking at this Kaiser story right now where you've got one therapist, one mental health professional having to take on 3,000 cases, you know? People will call, they will try to get an appointment and they won't be able to be seen for six to eight weeks. This is not because the people who are into mental health don't care. It's because, like that quote suggests, the system is overloaded. There are a lack of, there's a shortage of mental health professionals, right? You named it once they get in there. There's a lot of kind of like red tape, um, a lot of paperwork. When you're locking, when you're talking about these big sort of bureaucracies, mental health bureaucracies, um, even more so. So, you know, 
you're dealing with these people who definitely go into it because they want to make the world a better place. And then in the process of trying to do that, it's certainly very taxing on them. Um, we talked to this one woman who was six months pregnant. She had a husband who was experiencing psychosis really for the first time in his life. And her story is really interesting because her son was born premature. He was in the NICU. He was getting this incredible care, right? Like, I mean, every kind of neonatal specialist was just flocking around this baby and embracing this baby. Obviously, we love babies. We like to embrace them. We, we want them to be okay. But it's like, it's like when you look at the hierarchy of human suffering, you know, she has this great quote where she says, we went into the emergency room because we had nowhere else to go. I'm six months pregnant. And because my husband wasn't bleeding out visibly, the people there like made us wait 13 hours. And then once we left the emergency room, we had to wait another, you know, three weeks to really get him seen. So there is definitely something going on here. We, we have a parody law in America that is not enforced. It's not really followed. We don't have parity for mental health. Um, and it's, it's definitely a problem. One thing that I also feel like I discovered at some point is that a lot of people who attempt suicide don't identify as mentally ill and may not have a history of mental illness. So they're not even going to get to that system to begin with. There is, so here, here's some data, like 16.2 million people have experienced some sort of major depressive episode, right? So, so it's not like when we're talking about a mental, mental health issue, like everyone can identify with having a bad day, right? Like feeling hopeless, feeling like I don't want to get out of bed today, right? A lot of people who feel that way, because we don't really talk about mental health, um, the same way that we do physical health, a lot of people don't seek treatment for that. They just think like, oh, well, this is, I'm just having a bad day, right? I'm feeling blue. I need to, you know, dust myself off and keep going. Um, and there's a lot of, of people in their own heads being like, you know, th this isn't real. I don't have, I don't really have, you know, this or this or this. And so, no, they're not accessing help. Um, and because of that, it's hard to, to get them at that moment of crisis, right? It's not, in fact, the people who are, who are diagnosed mentally ill and these sort of like these, um, stories that we like to tell about people who are really in the depths of mental health despair and they're diagnosed this and that, those are, those are not really, um, those are more of the rare cases of people who are dying by suicide. Um, when we talk about suicide, we're talking about <laughs> hopelessness and despair. And it's not one event. Um, rarely is it one event that leads to a suicide. It's like a lifetime of, of events. You have to look at somebody's entire life. I think as a culture, we continually look at mental health as a thing that you only attend to, right, when you're in crisis, like when you can no longer function. I, I, ironically, and I want to talk more about the pandemic and, and how it's had an effect on, on this discussion, but I think ironically, there's a little bit more attention being paid <laughs> to sort of day-to-day -day mental health. Um, but I think... I think that that has to be a, a cultural shift. Yeah, like when we, when we, I think that's a really good distinction. So what we call them the fancy term is upstream interventions, right? So what can we put in place long before we get to that moment of crisis? Um, and the idea is being like, we cannot prevent bad things from happening to people, but we can empower people to be more stable in the face of bad things, right? Like we can't control what happens. COVID is a really good example. Um, how can we empower people in this moment to like be able to deal with it better? Um, that's one thread. The other one is that suicide prevention is about creating a life worth living. So when we talk about like mental health, when we talk about, you know, being, being sort of mentally well, if we can create a world where people have healthcare, where they have a living wage, where they have affordable housing and food security, and they feel safe and they They've built psychological resilience and, and, you know, they've maintained relationships. Like I could go on and on. That is all suicide prevention. So starting, starting like very young with our kids and talking about, you know, you can do hard things. I mean, he's like very sort of like 
nuanced messages, we can start so young with them (laughs) so that when they get to a point where they feel like I can't, um, there, there is an empowerment there. I, I don't think anyone at all, at least at the governmental level, is talking, thinking about suicide prevention as an upstream issue. But what would that look like? Are there examples, maybe? Do we know that that works? Do we know that this kind of upstream prevention works? There, there are definitely. So when you talk about these, these moments of crisis, right, you've got like crisis lines people can call. And if you call a crisis line, um, which is sort of the thing that we, we tell people, what they're doing is they're trying to get you to the next step. Um, it's not like, all right, I call the crisis line. I'm good to go now. <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's like, you know, what can I do right now in this moment to get you to then tomorrow access, you know, therapy, right? And there's so many different modalities of therapy. And we talk about therapy, like there are so many instances of people who have been feeling these feelings of hopelessness who feel like, you know, I don't matter. I, I, I want to end things. One of our psychologists we talked to who deals with the elderly population who is fun fact, the most at risk for suicide. So our, you know, our elders, our seniors, they're, they're the most high risk. Um, He told us that everyone who experiences suicidal ideation is experiencing intolerable psychological pain, right? Like that is the thing that is happening internally when we ask why. Um, and it's not that they're, it's not like everyone I've talked to who, had, who has experienced this, all they say is like, I just, I just want it to end. I, everyone would be better off if I was gone, right? I just want to stop the pain. Um, and that's kind of what it boils down to. So if we address the pain, right? Like it's logical that if we address the pain, that's not something that's going to take one appointment. You can't unpack your your childhood trauma, again, like the bad things that happened to us, which will, you can't unpack that in like a five-minute crisis line conversation. That takes years of therapy. It's throwing a lot of things at the problem and not just one thing. So when we talk about like upstream, we're talking about getting people lifelong support, not just five minutes or one day or 24 hours or a hospital stay of support, right? Like maintaining. I will say, so as someone who attempted suicide um, a few times uh, and got pretty close at at one point, um, you and I have talked about this. Yes, exactly. My experience was the intolerable pain. Just it, I tell people sometimes people call suicide selfish sometimes and, and, it's not, but you're not thinking about that. You're just like, my hand is in a vice. I want to cut off my hand. You know, like it's squeezing, squeezing, squeezing. I, I just want this to stop. And you can't think straight when you're in pain. So there's that. And of course, I had the complication of chemical dependency. But I heard something when I was going through the process of first the psych ward, or first the emergency room, then the psych ward, then long-term treatment, which is, it's actually all kind of... <sighs> The way that we should think about mental health and also chemical dependency treatment should be sort of similar to the way we think about physical rehabilitation in the sense that when someone, you know, really injures their leg badly, yes, first they go to the emergency room. Then they might go to the hospital to have it set or whatever. And then they'll go to PT. They'll go to physical therapy. Just because it doesn't hurt anymore doesn't mean it's healed. What was really groundbreaking for me last season was like being the family member of somebody who had an opioid use dependency, I was like, okay, go to the 30 day program. And then why do you keep relapsing? What, you know, like what, what you went to the program that you're cured. (laughs) This is like such a simplified way to sort of look at it and doing the show. I realized that is just the tiniest piece of the puzzle that it takes. It's triage. Exactly. That's like, stop the bleeding so that you can then do treatment, which is your entire life. Right. It's like, five years to be at the the level where you're, you know, no one of of someone who has not ever used drugs before, it takes five years to get to that point. And then it takes your entire life to continue to do all the work that it takes to stay sober, you know? And it's the same thing with when we talk about mental health. If you have a heart attack, right? You don't like recover from the heart attack and then go back to living the way you were because that wasn't working. (laughs) (laughs) And also, you don't have to have a heart attack to decide 
that you'd like to be more healthy? So actually the heart attack is such is such a good one. So let's 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 go there for a second. We're talking about upstream. Um since I yeah, since I am a cardiologist, um I'm not I'm not at all. Um uh the thing about heart attacks is like if you are eating sort of like healthy, not overdoing it with salt, trying to get like 30 minutes a day of exercise, all of these things that sort of like put you in a position to like be healthy, then you will help your chances of not having a heart attack. You know, if you have a a genetic predisposition, right? If you have, you know, various risk factors for heart attack, like my dad has had a heart attack, like I need to be more aware of it. I need to watch my cholesterol. Those are things you can do upstream. It's not that if you have the risk for having a heart attack, you are definitely going to have a heart attack. If you don't do X, Y, and Z to sort of like address your health from a sort of basic level, you're at a higher risk. We have to break in for some ads. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Brooklinen. If you're a longtime listener, you've probably heard me talk about Brooklinen before. From your bed to your bedroom, they've got comfort covered. And this season's no exception. We're talking gifts that are soft, gifts that are cozy, gifts that give you a feeling of complete and utter serenity. Since we're all stuck at home, we might as well be comfortable. And lucky for you, Brooklinen's biggest sale of the year is coming soon. Brooklyn has so many options, especially for gifting. There are always people on your list who are tough to please, and comfort is not a one-size-fits-all kind of thing. Their selection takes into account different needs and preferences when it comes to bedding, towels, you name it. Seriously, they have something everyone will love. Have a tough-to-please aunt? They've got candles, silk eye masks, and scrunchies and robes to give her a full spa retreat at home. There are gift card options so your loved ones can pick out exactly what they want as well. We sleep almost exclusively on Brooklyn and sheets. In fact, true story, the other night my husband asked me if I could change the sheets the next day back to the good ones. And while that whole spa retreat idea sounds really nice, seriously, I think sheets are a great gift. You sleep every night. So cozy up to Brooklyn's biggest sale of the year happening right now. Brooklyn is so confident in their product that all their sheets, comforters, loungewear, and towels come with a 365-day warranty. Get huge savings and free shipping during Brooklinen's biggest sale of the year only at brooklinen.com. Use promo code FRIENDS to let them know that our show sent you. That's brooklinen.com, promo code FRIENDS. And if you can't wait for the sale, or if you're just hearing this and it's post-Black Friday or Cyber Monday, you can still use the promo code FRIENDS at brooklinen.com for 10% off and free shipping in the U.S. anytime. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Green Chef. Green Chef is a USDA-certified organic company that makes eating well easy and affordable with plans to fit every kind of lifestyle. Green Chef lets you choose from a wide array of easy-to-follow meals that includes recipes perfect for keto, paleo, and plant-powered diets, or if you just want to eat healthier. Everything is hand-picked, featuring organic veggies and high-quality proteins that you want, delivered to your door contact-free. Ingredients come pre-measured, perfectly proportioned, and mostly prepped. And so a confession. My husband is the cook in the house. Well, he's the weeknight cook. I do like elaborate baking things on the weekend, and he does the meal kits during the week. And I can tell you that he said Green Chef was the easiest meal kit he's ever used. And I can also tell you from personal experience, they are delicious. We had the shepherd's pie the other night and actually saved the recipe to make on our own sometime. It's the perfect meal for winter nights when it gets dark at 4 p.m., You can also switch up your meal plan whenever you're ready and try a new way to eat. Green Chef makes cooking easy with options that work around every lifestyle, not the other way around. Go to greenchef.com slash friends90 and use code friends90 to get $90 off, including free shipping. That's greenchef.com slash friends90 using offer code friends90 to get $90 off, including free shipping. I was so happy to see Magic Spoon as a sponsor this week because this is the week the new flavors arrived. Just in time for me to have one of my periodic middle-of-the-night kitchen raids, which I've come to terms with by making sure that if I'm going to do midnight snacking, it's not junk. And ta-da! Magic Spoon was right there on the top of the refrigerator and... 
Dear listeners, I opened the honey oat flavor and ate a few fistfuls right out of the box. Delicious, sort of embarrassing, but not bad for me. Magic Spoon has zero grams of sugar, 11 grams of protein, and only three net carbs in each serving. So many of you have asked, and now you can finally build your very own custom variety box. You can choose from the best-selling cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry flavors, plus brand new flavors like the honey oat that I mentioned and peanut butter and cinnamon. It tastes amazing. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. Go to magicspoon.com WFLT to build your own custom variety box and try it today. Be sure to use our promo code WFLT at checkout to get free shipping. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's back with a 100% happiness guarantee. If you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash WFLT and use code WFLT for free shipping. We thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring the podcast. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Back to the conversation with Stephanie Whittles. All right, so we both mentioned upstream intervention, and it clicks for me, this idea that you would create a healthy life. And again, we talked about sort of the parallels with, with physical health. I'm curious what that looks like as policy or as prescription. I think to kind of flush it out, it would be easier to look at a couple of specific groups um, and not sort of take everyone. So let's let's kind of like zoom in on 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 a couple of groups that are that are high risk. So right now, um, black youth suicide is the rate of suicide and suicidal ideation and behavior is on the rise. There is a there has been a significant increase, um, and this is all from the National Institute for Mental Health. So from two thousand one to two thousand fifteen. Black youth under 13 were twice as likely to die by suicide compared to their white peers. And the, the suicide rate seems to be moving quicker, right, than faster than any other racial or ethnic group. Um, by 2018, suicide was the second leading cause of death in Black children aged 10 to 14, which is horrific, right? And the third leading cause of, of Black adolescents from 15 to, to 19. So the reason I think this is important is because when you when you look at this group, more research is certainly needed on, on how suicide risk develops, but there are some, some things that are clear, right, in terms of risk factors that have been well-researched, um, exposure to trauma, racial discrimination, um, discrimination of LGBTQ plus youth, um, being the victim of bullying, right? Like, so, so, so there's like, there are some things that are documented. And then also important to note, and this is where it gets into the upstream interventions, is that there are these disparities in access to mental health services. So Black youth continue to be less likely to receive mental health treatment for depression when needed compared to white youth. Um, rates of treatment for depression are lower, um, also significantly less likely to receive outpatient treatment after a suicide attempt. So when you look at that, like that feels very clear. Do you know what I mean? Like if we could create a world in which these kids are getting upstream interventions, then I think we could start to like impede on that growing, growing rate. It does. I'm just curious about what some of that would look like beyond eliminating racism, which I think is a good goal and would definitely help. This show comes from a politically minded, you know, production company. And I feel strongly about systemic solutions to things, right? Like there need to be systemic solutions. And, and some of what you're saying still sounds a little bit like crisis intervention. And I'm sure like for black youth, oh my God, like there are things that we could do policy-wise that would be 
maybe just a little head of crisis intervention that would still be helpful, like, you know, breaking up the school to prison pipeline, having a more supportive environment for people where they um, are also free to express self um, and having schooling that's not punitive. Uh, What are some other kinds of things? I mean, in terms of like schooling, right, like integrating mental health services into our schools would be a really good place to start, you know, like, there there when you when you look at funding for public schools or you know any school really it's like okay where do we sort of make the cuts well a lot of schools don't have school nurses to start i mean a lot of schools much less much less like a therapist or a psychologist that's on for the kids you know so integrating and in uh, integrating mental health professionals into the school environment i think would be a great place to start um, I think you're totally right. Like if black children are more likely to be suspended, which there's data that shows that they are, right? Or punished uh, more severely, that is going to impact their their sense of self, their story they tell themselves about themselves very early on. Um, if there is exposure to trauma, if there's exposure to any sort of you know abuse, we know that trauma does is a significant risk factor for suicide later in life. Um, and trauma isn't just about like, you know, something that's on, on the ACEs. It's like, you know, if there's any sort of like chaos at home, if there's a lot of, if there's not, um, stability in any sort of way, if there's not poverty, poverty is a good one. Like if I don't know that I'm going to be able to eat, that's going to impact my ability to feel like I have a life worth living. And again, we have to keep going back to this as being the lens of how we look at suicide, that it's not the moment of crisis. It's creating, you know, a sense of, of stability, a sense of, of confidence and, and a sense of like power. I, I have a policy uh, minded thought about this though, which is something that I've done a little research on myself and written about, which is um, the role of guns in suicide. And it is America's high suicide rate is intrinsically linked to gun access. There's just no argument about it at all, because if you try to commit suicide with a gun, you are 90 percent of the time going to succeed. Other countries just don't have that factor. And that's a, that's a, that's something that some people talk about, I think, that we should do something about our, our gun laws in order to affect, you know, our suicide issue. But I also feel like there's some language and some thinking around that that's also not especially helpful, which is this idea of the red flag law. You and I talked a little bit about this before. Um, Red flag laws, if people don't know, they're uh, designed, the intent is to keep guns out of the hand of of the mentally ill. That's probably the right way to put it, right? And they're often flagged, as it were, as not just suicide prevention, but mass shooting prevention. So it makes logical sense that if you take deadly means out of the equation, you will help a suicide rate, okay? So if a person gets to that moment of crisis, like we've been talking about, and they are feeling like, I want to stop the pain, and there's a gun in the house, I like I say no more, right? So we just did this um, episode on um, suicide contagion, and we and we we visited this guest in Wyoming. Um, we didn't actually visit them because we're in COVID times, but we talked to this guest in Wyoming, and um, you know she talked about like there's this cowboy culture in Wyoming, and I think it's sort of interesting to zoom in on this because eighty six percent of gun deaths in Wyoming are suicides, 86%. And it's it's important to look at that because so many residents in that community have access to firearms. So, um, you know, over half, like it's something like 60% of residents have access to a firearm. More, more often, you know, like people have whole arsenals, more than one gun. Um, and so the, the national average for, for gun deaths um, in terms of suicide is closer to 50%. In Wyoming, it's 86%. It's not the people that are, 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 like you said, like, oh, this is a person who's at high risk. It's like everyone feels can feel this way. You know, it's not 
And, and the other thing about like the mass shooting thing that drives me insane is that if, if somebody wants to get a gun and, and, and do a mass shooting, they will find one, right? It's not, it, it, it really, it defies logic, I think. Oh, well, I think actually it's some, my little take on guns and suicide prevention and guns and mass shooting prevention actually is guns should be hard for anyone to get. That is the way that you intervene on both of those things, is that you make it difficult for anyone to get a gun. And we could talk through, like, why for both um, suicide intervention and mass shooting intervention, this idea of flagging the mentally ill, which, by the way, the ACLU is um, adamantly against um, that kind of law to flag people as being dangerous or mentally ill. It's also a HIPAA violation. Um, you'd have to, like, work that out somehow. Um, but also, I just think these are ineffective um, because we were talking about earlier, a lot of people who attempt suicide, there's a number, I can't, I don't have it off the top of my head, uh, have no signs that this is something they're going to do. So it's an it's a impulsive act. It's a response to an immediate crisis. If they have a gun, they're probably already going to have a gun. <laughs> or if they want to go get a gun, they're not going to have a history that's going to set off a red flag. So they shouldn't be the people you have to worry about. They shouldn't be the people that have waiting periods. Everybody should have waiting periods. Every single person. Absolutely. And because, because I, I mean, I don't think that, um, you know, like, if we talk about it as being this single moment, like you said, of hopelessness and despair, hopelessness and despair is equal opportunity. That can strike anybody. Um, and, and the other important thing to note is, yeah, a lot of these people who, um, who are dying by suicide have never been in touch with the system. They've never, they've never had a, me- a mental illness diagnosis, right? They like, so it's, it's, it's kind of, um, it seems like something that's a good showing, you know, it's like, yeah, we're doing something, but it actually does nothing. Last ad break. This episode of With Friends Like These is brought to you by Public Goods, the one-stop shop for sustainable, high-quality, everyday essentials made from clean ingredients at an affordable price. Everything from coffee to toilet paper and shampoo and pet food, Public Goods is your new everything store, thoughtfully designed for the conscious consumer. Rather than buying a bunch of single product brands, Public Good members can buy all of their premium essentials in one place with one beautiful, streamlined aesthetic. Our public good shipment to try out for the sponsorship came kind of out of the blue. It seemed super random because it had things in it like toilet paper and soap, but also chocolate-covered almonds. But here's the thing. They were all great. There's an upper limit on how great toilet paper can be, but the soaps smelled really good. The almonds were delicious. I made another order with my own money, so now I can also tell you that their bath mats and their ramen are fantastic. They use the membership model to keep costs low and pass on even more savings to their customers. Best of all, you can make your first purchase with no obligation. They plant one tree for every order placed and incorporate sustainability into every part of their company. Join hundreds of thousands of others who have switched to their new everything store. We worked on an exclusive deal for With Friends Like These podcast listeners. Receive $15, that's $15 off your first public goods order now with no minimum purchase. That's right. They are so confident you will absolutely love their products and come back again and again and again. They are giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. You have nothing to lose. Just go to publicgoods.com slash friends or use code friends at checkout. That is P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash friends to receive $15 off your first order. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Stamps.com. This holiday season, more people will be mailing stuff than ever before. That means the post office is going to be busy. You don't have time for that. Stamps.com brings the post office and UPS shipping right to your computer. Mail and ship anything from the convenience and safety of your home or office. 
Stamps.com is a must-have for any business, whether you're a small office sending out invoices, an online seller fulfilling orders during this record-setting holiday season, or even a giant warehouse sending thousands of packages a day. Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. It's that simple. With Stamps.com, you get $0.05 off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail and up to 62% off UPS shipping rates. Not to mention, it's a fraction of the cost of expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is a no-brainer. It saves you time and money. No wonder over 900,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. Don't spend a minute of your holiday season at the post office this year. Sign up for Stamps.com instead. There is no risk. With my promo code FRIENDS, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in FRIENDS. That's Stamps.com, enter FRIENDS. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. And now we are back. Enjoy the conversation. Trump is is fond of talking about suicide and lockdowns. He has multiple times said one of the reasons we got to open up is suicides, drug addiction, all that stuff. Um, that's increasing because of because of lockdowns. But what's interesting is the the study that I read, or the author of the study that I read. Um, he says a couple of things that are interesting. Historically, at times of natural disaster and calamity, we actually tend to see a de- decrease in suicides, um, which reflects a pulling together effect. People have a shared sense of adversity, so we unite to help each other and come together. To me, that speaks to your upstream intervention idea. I mean, there definitely is something interesting about all being in the same place at the same time, emotionally, right? Like we're all dealing with this, with this common goal. I'll get to the the dark side of, of this quote um, from uh, his name is Craig Bryan, a psychologist at Ohio State University. He did have this good news about um, suicide rates being slightly down and perhaps it's a pulling together effect. He noted that as opinions and policies diverge when it has to do with the coronavirus, we may see something else happen. It, it, the, the sort of like two completely different stories about it. Um, seem like that would be problematic, you know, for people. Um, there's also, I mean, the the trauma of 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 losing a loved one or you know being really sick, um, you know. But I, I I think the thing that I'm getting like <laughs> truly hung up on is the fact that in in this moment the ACA is in danger, right? Um. And just sort of like the sheer audacity for for Trump or any Republican to talk about, oh well, you know, we got to get we got to get people back out there because you know they're they're going to die by suicide or overdose, and then to try to strip people of healthcare simultaneously, which, as we have identified, is indeed an upstream intervention and something that does improve quality of life when you can get care if you're sick. I think the other thing that's, that bothers me about uh, that so-called concern, this feigning of concern uh, for suicide prevention, is there's a really easy intervention that the government could make to to help with a lot of these things, which is give people money. And what I love, what I love about the way that they did that first um, disbursement um, was, in fact. Uh, um, again, sort of a reflection of this idea of upstream in- intervention, which is they gave everyone the same amount of money. It didn't have to be, it's everyone earns it, everyone has access to it, it is yours, it is not dependent on you uh, being in crisis, it is not dependent on you saying something about yourself that might be um, something that you're ashamed of. It is just here, here, have some help. Here, here you go. Absolutely. And I mean, we, we, we interviewed this guy um, in our first episode who had, um, you know, a history of, of untreated, undiagnosed depression, um, you know, and some sort of trauma 
as a child, but like he he got a bill for his newborn baby um, who was in the NICU for several weeks for $300,000, $300,000. The same day or really the same week that he got that bill, he got fired from his job. So those two things are things that we can support people with that is so um, unfair, inequitable, uh, totally insert word here, head exploding, brain exploding, that we live in a country where we don't provide people support financially. And and then we wonder like, why are they feeling hopeless? Why Why are they having, you know, suicidal ideation? Why do they want to end it all? That's painful. I feel like I'm coming around to this view that we've, we've done episodes on conspiracy theories and, uh, being on the far right, um, conversion experiences, both to and away from being on the far right. And a theme emerged that, again, is relevant here, which is that in community, extreme beliefs are difficult to maintain. If you're in a supportive community, I should say. The only way you can maintain extreme beliefs, actually, is a community that will support them. But if you're in a supportive community, uh, a mentally well community, a community that cares about you, and that models the behaviors that are healthy, like that's the way that people start to change. Whether you are a Republican or a Democrat, um, you are susceptible to addiction. You are susceptible to suicidal ideation. You are susceptible to all of it, right? It's not, it's not like everyone has the same human form. We all struggle with the same things. That's why it's like, you know, I, I can't, you know, our show, we have, we have all sorts of people listen to it because at the end of the day, um, you know, we're all, um, mortal beings. And, um, I wish we could, we could all feel equally comfortable expressing all of it and wanting, and like wanting to, to be okay, wanting everybody to be okay. Shared pain is an opportunity for shared growth, for shared community. And that is the opportunity that's at the heart of our, you know, national convulsion right now. I end this show every week by asking people to take care of themselves. I am not always specific about how. But this seems like a good episode to maybe have at least a few ideas for people. And I wonder if you have any. So if you are feeling um, lonely, hopeless, uh, intolerable psychological pain, the, the truly most important thing you can do is to speak up about it, um, to take action. So like if you're feeling, and say you're not feeling intolerable psychological pain, say you're feeling stressed or anxious or lonely, right? Or just like tired, tired, right? Like connect, connect with somebody, like reach out for help. You don't have to be ashamed or afraid. And if you are, if you feel like I don't want to talk to the people in my life about it, I don't want to, I, I feel that like shame about it. There are numbers you can call and people are there 24 seven to like pick up the phone and talk you through that moment. Um, you and everyone can go on like psycho psychology today and, and, and try to find a therapist. Um, the flip side of that is like, if you see something, say something, we call it community gatekeeping. So if you see like somebody in your life is, you know, not doing well in a variety of ways, or, you know, you, you have an inkling, just be like, hey, are you, are you okay? There's a, I, I called a hotline once um, when I was depressed. And it didn't wind up being the turning point of my life. Um, but it's something that stuck with me, which is I called and I was really embarrassed. And I felt like, you know, maybe this is not so bad. Like maybe I'm not actually in crisis, right? And I told the person that answered, like, I don't know if this is bad enough to warrant, like, a call or, or, or for, for us to, for you to help me. And the woman on the other end of the line said, if it's bad enough for you, it's bad enough for me, you know? Yeah, I will also note that, like, a lot of people who I've talked to have that same thing that you just said, right, in their own head being like, eh, is it that bad? You know, if you're having that thought, yes, it, it, it is. <laughs> So before we go, let's let's uh, hear those phone numbers or websites. Yes. Okay. Let me share these with you. So um, 
we are partnering we are partnering with the Jed Foundation this season on last day. Um, if you're not familiar with Jed, they uh, their slogan is protecting emotional health and preventing suicide. So um, you can go to jedcares.com, sorry, jedcares.org slash last day. Um, there's a ton of resources there, like, you know, everything from like getting you through one moment to um, more serious intervention if you need it. You can text START to 741-741 or call 1-800-273-TALK. That's 8255, 1-800-273-8255. For a confidential conversation, 24 hours, seven days a week, you can call whenever somebody will be there. And the other thing is like a lot of people who are manning those crisis lines are people who might have called before. So that's another thing. Um, oftentimes, like we talked about early on with the healthcare, like people who are going into this are not people who don't want to help. They do want to help. Stephanie, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thanks. And that is it for the show. If you are now fired up to do something about suicide as a public health issue, to be a part of the solution on a social, societal level, I have an opportunity for you. I will remind you to get involved in Crooked Media's Adopt-A-State Georgia edition. One of the many, many, many reasons we need two more Democrats in the Senate is to preserve and maybe even improve the ACA. I won't list the other ways that progressive policies function as suicide prevention, but another one of those is the whole give people money idea I mentioned earlier in the show. So go adopt Georgia, do GOTV, and say hi to my dad if he happens to be one of your calls. This show is a production of Crooked Media. It is produced by Allison Herrera with assistance from Lily Alexandrov. Izzy Margulies books our guests. Liam McMahon does Twitter. And Whitney Pastrick is the best friend I've ever made because of a dog. They're all incredibly important to me, and I am so glad that I get a chance to mention them every week. You all are also important to me. So, please, even if you think you're doing okay right now, take care of yourselves. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. When booking with other vacation rental apps sounds like this. This place doesn't look like the pictures. Ah, is there a door behind all those spiders? It's time to try one that sounds more like a vacation. Ah, this is perfect. Relax, you booked a Verbo. 